Hello, I'm Monsignor Jim Lasanti. This week on Personally Speaking, my guest is Michael Wood, recently a congressional candidate for a seat from Texas, who is a man of great personal courage. Stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Trimbosanti, and Michael Wood joins me now. Michael is a Marine Corps combat veteran who was a recent congressional candidate in Texas's 6th Congressional District. During his service, Michael received two Purple Hearts and a Navy Commendation Medal. Michael was born and raised in Midland, Texas, and received his undergraduate degree from New York University with a double major in economics and history. Immediately after college, Michael joined the Marines and was commissioned as an infantry officer and completed two tours of duty in Afghanistan. Michael was seriously injured while serving and left active duty, returning home to Texas. He went on to earn his MBA from Southern Methodist University and is currently a small business owner in Fort Worth, Texas, and a major in the Marine Corps Reserve. He's married to Sarah, who's an assistant district attorney, and together they have four daughters, Michael decided to enter a crowded field running in the special election for the 6th Congressional District in Texas. He's not a politician, but is a conservative Republican who differentiated himself from the 11 other Republicans in the race by running as a person who is critical of President Trump. Even though he voted for the now former president, Michael didn't win the U.S. House runoff, but continues to speak out about the Republican Party and what he hopes it will become. He's here to share with us today to talk about his life, his family, his values, his decision to run for Congress, and why he thinks the Republican Party in so many ways has lost its way, what he thinks needs to be done to correct that. Joining me now, I'm very pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Michael Wood. I want to thank Michael Wood for being on our show. Michael, first question is very basic. Why, if someone's going to go into public life, would Congress be the choice? Like, uh, when you chose to say, I'm going to move from my world and business and get into politics, uh, I could do city council, I could do uh, the state senate, but you chose Congress, I presume, for a specific reason. How come? Yeah, so first of all, I don't think that you necessarily have to run for Congress. Um, I felt like, and this isn't necessarily how I thought I would get into politics, I always thought that it would be you know, much further on in my life. It's just... Yeah. Where we are in American history, specifically where the Republican Party is, I felt like uh, this would be the best platform for me to say what I feel like needed to be said mm -hmm. uh, about, you know, specifically what, what Donald Trump has done to the party since Election Day, but especially on January 6th and uh, sort of the, the pathway that I see uh, the country going, which I'm really concerned about. In my specific case, it was also... Um, that was the, the office that opened up. Um, unfortunately, the, the congressman passed away due to COVID, uh, mm -hmm. which is why there was a special election called. Um, and nobody who was running for this seat was standing up and saying what I think needed to be said, uh, which is why I decided to throw my hat in the ring. Yeah. For our, our listeners and watchers around the country, when I was growing up, uh, one of the more formative books in my education was uh, President Kennedy's book, Profiles in Courage. And uh, I was struck by uh, Michael's race for Congress, because in many ways, what he's doing is uh, courageous, almost 
Don, K, Don Quixote de la Mancha and that he's tilting at windmills and that the Republican Party seems so completely the property of, of uh, uh, Donald Trump. So to say that we should have a, a party without that cult of personality is a pretty daring and brave thing to do. Uh, we, we had on the show before uh, Adam Kinzinger, uh, who I know has supported you. Um, I hope we can have Liz Cheney. I've had her dad on a few times. But again, is there room at this point, do you think, in the Republican Party for people who do not embrace uh, the cult of personality and, and think the Republican Party is much bigger than one particular man? Well, um, the honest answer is I really don't know. I was, yeah. really, I was really concerned on January 6th, obviously. I was frustrated. I was, I was shocked. I was angry. I, hadn't had those feelings uh, that I felt on January 6th. Mm. The country was being attacked. But then there was, there was about 48 hours where it felt like the spell was going to be broken and the party was finally going to move past this. And people like Lindsey Graham on the floor of the Senate saying that he was, he was done with his journey. Um, yeah. you know, yet Kevin McCarthy saying the truth, which is that, you know, the president or direct responsibility for what happened. Mm-hmm. And then they all fell into line, which was, in a lot of ways, more frustrating than the actual attack. Right. And then right. a few weeks later, Kevin McCarthy was down in Florida taking that horrible photograph with uh, uh, Donald Trump. I really don't know because it seems like things keep getting worse. And I tried my best, but it feels like things keep getting worse. And I actually think that what happened with Liz Cheney being ousted in the leadership position, mm-hmm. I think that might be an inflection because... This isn't about policy, despite what they're saying. This isn't even about messaging. This right. isn't about the past. This is about whether or not you could be a leader in the Republican Party and tell the truth. She's being punished only for telling the truth. Yeah. So at some point, you got to ask yourself, you know, is this just a, a, a den of snakes and liars? And if so, can good people be a part of it? Something that I'm very much struggling with because you know my life would be a whole lot easier (laughs) if you know the democratic party was still john kennedy yeah right right but it's not (laughs) you know people some of my democratic friends you know they ask why how can you still join this how can you still be a part of this and it's tough i mean abortion is a life and death issue yeah you know, it's it's if you think it's a life and death issue, it's got to be at the top of your priority list. And I just I, I can't join the Democratic Party because they've grown so extreme on a board. Funny that you bring up uh, Profiles of Courage because it was one of my favorite books as well. And I gave my copy to my oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. And I was still debating for about a week whether or not to ju- jump into this race. I, uh, I got it back from her and reread it to sort of buff me up um, because there is very much a lack of courage in the Republican Party right now. Yeah. At some point, a man just got to For stand folks up. around the country listening to a program like this who might say, well, you know, Monsignor Losanti has some kind of a anti-Trumper on. I think it's important to point out that Michael, through much of President Trump's term, supported many of the president's initiatives. Uh, and, and I have to say I did, too. I thought many of the things he did were, were, were very fine, including the appointment of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. So really, it's not a question of disagreeing with his policies, but about the cult itself. Yeah. And, you know, I, I never liked the man. I'll be honest. I never liked <laughs> yeah. the man. I felt like 
you know, I felt like once he was elected, I was just going to call balls and strikes. If he mm. did good things, I was going to give him credit for good things. If he did bad things, and I would criticize that. Yeah. And um, at the top of my list, you know, I talked about abortion before, but at the top of my list were judges. You know, I was mm. I was very concerned because he's not a conservative. I was very concerned that he was going to get in there and blow this opportunity to put in good justice on the Supreme Court. And he put three good ones on. Yeah. And, and I, I gave him credit for that. Combine that with a very radical Democratic Party. I felt like I had to support him. But then everything he's done since Election Day is causing grievous harm to our country, which is why he's qualified from playing a role going forward. You know, I, I had uh, been watching as before the election, he announced that the election could not be fair and that he would be cheated. And then, of course, he started that right after the election as well. Uh, for my own personal decision, I take very seriously Attorney General Barr. I think he's a good man, an honorable man. And he was also obviously very loyal to President Trump. So when he came out and said, look, we've investigated them, there's, there's no basis for saying this election stolen. And even if there was some irregularity, there's nowhere near enough irregularities to turn the election another way. So this is a fair election. So when your attorney general says that, I, I'm going to go with him. But have you any insight, Michael, into why? Uh, I mean, lots of folks I know and, and fairly well-educated people still say, you know, where the smoke, there must be fire. And uh, surely this election must have been stolen. And I'll say, where's the evidence? Show me the evidence. But why do you think so many folks, sometimes, again, as I say, bright folks, are still willing to buy the myth that this election was stolen? Well, I think that leadership matters. And I think it's one thing for, you know, the the jerk at the end of the bar to go on and on about conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. It's very different whenever it's a man who is sitting in George Washington's, uh, somebody who is in behind the mantle of the presidency. Mm. And, you know, in a sense, I think that throughout American history, we've been lucky that we haven't been in this position before Yeah, to have a demagogue with that sort of power, the commander in chief telling the American people that they're living, they're about to live under George um, so I think that I think that leadership matters. Again, it's yeah. it's the president who is saying these things. I also think that there's something going on with American culture and society okay. where there's a hole in a whole lot of people's hearts that used to be filled with family, used to be filled with faith, and for a whole bunch of different reasons, it's being filled with politics. Very, very dangerous. And so it's not just, you know, sometimes your side loses. Yeah. Whenever your side loses, it's, it's almost like an existential crisis. You can't. Right. Also, we're becoming a country where people only talk to other people who agree with them. And so you can walk around in New York, you can walk around in Texas and say, I've never met a single Democrat in my life. There's no way. You know, Joe Biden got 7 million more votes than my guy. <laughs> That's the way it happens. Whereas back in the day, Democrats, Republicans, they're all neighbors. Politics yeah. wasn't that big a deal for most people. So I think all of that sort of combines to make this happen. Um, Michael Woods, our guest. Michael, when you were deciding to run for Congress, um, you have a wonderful wife, Sarah, and you have these four beautiful kids. What kind of discussion takes place in a family before someone says, I want to go into public life? You you knowing, as most people do, that 
it could alter your life irretrievably to uh, to change the direction in your life and move from a guy who works in Texas in his own business to going to Washington. Uh, what kind of discussions go on in family life before someone enters politics? The most important thing, if you want to get into politics, is you got to win the wife primary. Yeah. <laughs> can't, imagine, can't imagine doing this whenever your wife isn't behind you 100%. Right. Uh, so it was, it wasn't just one conversation. It was, it was a week of conversation. Mm. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have done this if I, I wasn't truly down to my core concerned about the party. Yeah. And the, you know, I'm worried about political violence. I'm worried about what happens whenever people think they're living under an illegitimate government. It was like a week long talk. And, you know, above all else, I was really, really concerned about missing my kids growing up. Yeah. And that really gave me pause and it's something I had to sort of come come to terms with because but then I, I just sort of thought that I feel strong if I had stayed in the Marine Corps mm-hmm. there are guys who stay in the Marine Corps and they're serving their country and miss their kids growing up as well that's why it's very much sacrifice what they do it's why we honor them so mm. and that's really the, um, the 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 mindset that I took into this decision um, yeah it's, it's a hard one, but yeah, the, the family's got to be on board or else. On board completely. Now, this is a background question, but I'm always intrigued by it. Every weekend when I get to do weddings, I, I often wonder how people have the courage to say yes to forever with another human being. Uh, your, your experience of choosing and ha- also being chosen by her. Why Sarah? Why of all the women in the world, is this the one for you for life? Oh, man. Sarah is outstanding. I mean, first of all, she's beautiful. Yes. Incredibly smart. Uh-huh. He's a lawyer. You mentioned Amy Coney Barrett earlier. She was a, <laughs> Barrett was her professor at Notre Dame Law. Uh-huh. Um, incredibly brilliant. She was actually, Sarah was also the president of the NYU College Republicans oh. as well. Okay. She was out there, you know, doing pro-life uh, drives and, and protests in the middle of Greenwich Village. <laughs> That's a brave Which woman. Takes <laughs> guts and um, she's great. She's incredibly fierce, incredibly smart, uh, incredibly tough, but also uh, incredibly feminine. So you add all that up together. Wow. And I, I certainly, I certainly married up. <laughs> and how could you not, right? How could you not? Um, I have a, a nephew who graduated from NYU Law, and I remember going to meet him for lunch one day, and I was in the collar, and I said, okay, I'm dressed like a priest. He said, you're in enemy territory here. <laughs> he said, Take, you're taking your chances, but come if you will. And I did. But uh, no, It's me- funny. Our first date was, uh, our first date was actually um, the Easter Vigil Mass. Uh, that's so kind of cool. I wasn't a Catholic at that time. I am now. Right? But... I wanted to, I took her out to dinner. I told her, I was, she said, that's fine, but I got to leave early to go to this mass. And the, the dinner went well. And so I asked if I could come. And um, I didn't realize at the time how long those are. <laughs> right. <laughs> you got the longest mass all year. <laughs> I know. So looking at my watch, we're like an hour and a half in and it doesn't seem to be winding down. So our first, our first date was uh, Easter Vigil Mass. And that was probably a good thing to start with. Uh, that's true, love. Now, now uh, Sarah and Michael have four beautiful young daughters. Have you fi- guys figured out, and I know it's a process, but uh, you have values that are so central, so core to the two of you. Is there a right and wrong way to teach your young girls the things that matter? Well, you know, I think that 
I don't have all the answers. I think we're doing a pretty good job. But a lot of times whenever you have a chaotic household like this, it's just, you know, trying to get through the day. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do think it's, um, I, I will say this. I think it's important to get them to mass every Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's very easy, especially whenever you have young kids. Um, you know, I think it's very important to, to teach them that it's not about them, even if it's not, always fun even if it's not what you want to do on Sunday morning that you've got to get them there because it's ultimately about God and, yeah you know, that's where you've got to get the habits uh, instilled in them um, I think that uh, yeah that's that's incredibly important it's something you know and I I will say that those of your listeners who aren't parents yet maybe don't have young kids or maybe they're never going to be parents be patient with those big <laughs> glorious right. Catholic families in mass with the screaming kids who are getting in the way of your prayer time. Right. You've got to suffer the little ones because they're there. That's the, right. The Lord's work. Um, so yeah, we just try to get them to mass and um, yeah, it's just a constant battle every day to reward good behavior and, and, and punish that. That's, that's not good. You know, they may be too young to recognize it now, but uh, someday I would think they will look back at what you've just attempted to do and recognize how you put your life on hold in order for the sake of a principle to take on a a very unpopular cause, to stand up to a a very popular form of president. And I think that's a great lesson. You know, uh, Nicholas Sparks, the author, said to me, there's no better way to teach your kids than by your own example and your example and what you're willing to suffer through. And and, and endure for the sake of your truth is, I think, a great lesson to the kids. Uh, let me ask you this too, Michael. Did, did the experience of serving in the military, uh, I presume there, there's a standard that you follow and it's a straight and narrow path. But in politics, on the other hand, it just seems like folks take such wiggle experiences of it. Uh, you mentioned McCarthy going down. First, he was upset about what happened in Washington. Then he went down and made peace with the president. But could you deal, if you got into Congress, with, uh, it seems, the necessary willingness to uh, swallow pride, to to bend to the whim of, of what's popular at the time? I'll give you an example. I, in 1996, I was approached to run for Congress, and I met with Cardinal O'Connor, the Archbishop of New York, and he said, no, you can't. And I said, why can't? I said, because very few people go out of there with the same principles they enter. There's so much compromise, so much loss of what you really are and what you believe could you maintain a fidelity to your values? Do you think uh, you did it certainly in the military? Could you do it in Congress? I think so, but that's where um, that's where the art of politics comes into play. Mm. Um, you know, my hero is Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. and we we revere Abraham Lincoln because he was the best example of what a politician could be. All right, so it's not just a politician's job to sort of stand up and give beautiful speeches about what's moral and say, like, this is black, this is white, and and this is what I'm going to do. It's a politician's job to sort of shape public opinion and and compromise where you need to compromise, but also be wise enough to know those things on which you won't compromise in order to sort of move the, the, the ball down the field. And, th- and that's what Abraham Lincoln did. He was able to use the art of politics in order to, you know, bring about the end of slavery, to bring about you know, keeping the, the union together. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I look to him. But you're right. It's a constant 
battle. And I think it's something that a whole lot of politicians don't get that balance right. And it yeah. becomes, you can talk yourself into that, which happens a lot. So it's, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to compromise on this, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, live to fight another day or, you know, I've got to say things that I know aren't true because if I don't say them, then I'm going to lose my reelection and somebody even crazier is going to get in there. And then yeah. what is that going to do for abortion? What's that going to do for, you know, these other things that I care about? Yeah. Um, it's, it is very difficult. You know, I will say that the, the skill set you need a lot of times to be successful in the military isn't always the same skill set you need in the political realm. We're talking to Michael Wood, who is a recent candidate for Congress. Michael, uh, related to the issues that you're talking about, uh, earlier today I was on a program on Newsmax, and they asked me about uh, communion and, uh, and President Biden. And, and I'm uh, certainly torn. I want to know your point of view on this. On the one hand, it bothers me that he calls himself a devout Catholic and promotes the unrestricted right to abortion and federal dollars to pay for it. On the other hand, I look at what Jesus did at the Last Supper, and he gave communion to a bunch of woeful men who would desert him in short order. So I've often wondered, is communion something we deserve or something we need? It uh, Was communion something that President Biden should receive because he's making a mess of the sanctity of life? Or is it wrong to give him communion because he so violates our teachings? Uh, Catholic layman that you are, have you got any, any insight into that? So I will... Again, emphasize I'm a Catholic layman and my formal training in terms of practice and discipline doesn't really extend beyond RCIA. <laughs> now, that being said, I don't understand why he's still allowed to get communion. It's, mm. I mean, we're all sinners. We all fall short. Um, but it seems it's not just that he's pro-choice. It's that, I mean, he doesn't even support the Hyde Amendment anymore. No, um, I mean, he's actively promoting policies and he will continue to promote policies. You know, if you're going to promote, things, actively promote things and ask other people to sort of get, put blood on their hands, you know, taxpayer mm -hmm. abortion, that seems to fly in direct contradiction, reason and science, but also the church. Yeah. And he denied communion for something as flagrant as that, that I'm not sure what you can be denied communion for. So I've never really understood why, why he's still uh, allowed to receive it. It's sort of, I don't know, I feel like it, it harms the Eucharist. You know, what's interesting, too, it goes to your point about uh, the surrender of conscience, Michael, in that uh, for 45 years, President Biden and the Congress and Senate supported the Hyde Amendment. So for him to change on a dime just seems to be as if there are no principles that are really worth standing strong about. And uh, uh, you, on the other hand, seem to feel there are some things that are uh, uh, not worthy of compromise. And you, we must be faithful and true, which makes me nervous about you being in politics because it could be a hard <laughs> road for you, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, the first interview I ever did years ago was with the film director, Frank Capra, who did It's a Wonderful Life. And as you know, G George Bailey's struggle is not physical, it's emotional. And that uh, in the film, we're told that he's facing discouragement. Um, when you sit up to President Trump and you've run in a primary and you're trying to change the direction of our country for good, and it doesn't happen, it doesn't work out the way you'd hoped, uh, does Michael Wood still have uh, a sense of hope or has he uh, given into discouragement yet? No, still have hope. I'll, I'll, never, I'll never lose hope. 
I thought you were going to ask me about Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. <laughs> the other Another, camera film, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. No, I, you know, nobody's ever gotten rich betting against America. And we're going through a tough time right now. Mm -hmm. I, I think that a good hunk of the people in this country have been misled by a demagogue. Yeah. I think that it's really hard to mislead the American people forever. And I yeah. think, I think we're going to get through this. And I wouldn't be surprised if five years from now, three years from now, there are all sorts of Republicans up and down this country who are saying, who's that Donald Trump guy? I don't remember who he was. I had, I had nothing to do with that. And I, I think that's going to happen. I think that January 6th was so cut and dry. I think the election lies that he told were so dry that eventually the truth's going to come out. And I, I will also say this in closing. Mm -hmm. There's been a whole lot of talk about a quote-unquote Republican civil war. You know, I don't like the prospect of a Republican civil war, but we're in one. Mm -hmm. And I think for the first time, the other side is starting to fight back. And I think that people like Adam Pinzinger, people like Liz Cheney, to the extent that I can help people like me, are going to start fighting back. And, and we're going to win this, this, this fight for the, the, the party and the I want to thank Michael Wood for being with us. I've always been a fan of uh, the uh, great Irish nobleman in the parliament who said the only way for evil to succeed is for good people to do nothing. And uh, this is a good man who is uh, trying to make a difference for the good. And uh, I'm sure it costs you a lot, but Michael, it's so good to have uh, another voice saying, wait a second, what are we called to do as a country and can't we do better? Uh, truly a profile in courage. And I'm, I'm very grateful for your time with us. Uh, keep on keeping on. Don't give in to discouragement. And know for a lot of us, you're a sign of hope. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much, Father. Enjoy it. Thank you. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you'd like to make any comments or questions for me, just send to personally speaking podcast at gmail.com. That's personally speaking podcast at gmail.com. You can listen to past episodes by going on YouTube and punching in personally speaking with Monsignor Jim Santi. Don't forget to click like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also available as a podcast on personallyspeakingpodcast.buzzsprout.com or you can go to www.closeencountertv.com, all one word, closeencountertv.com. I'm going to ask you as well to look on my parish website, www.ollmp.org, and you'll get recent shows as well as Monsignor Jim's weekly homily. Personally Speaking is also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Asante. Please share and let others know about Personally Speaking. I want to thank all those people who support uh, our program and keep it on the air. In particular, I'd like to thank uh, Peggy and Pete D'Angelo. I also want to thank Anthony Capitola and his law offices for being a constant help and support to our program. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, personally speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking. <laughs>